Say It Loud Podcast Network, where black and brown voices truly matter. Welcome, 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 guys, to another episode of Just a Thought with Sheree Nicole. This just gets, I feel like I'm on my whispers tease. It just gets better with time. I'm so, so excited to have this amazing conversation today with a gentleman who has deep roots in television, film, and the stage, and now he's starring in the film dramatic reading from the award-winning book, All Boys Aren't Blue. Thomas Hobson, thank you so much for hanging out with me on Just a Thought with Sheree Nicole. Uh, thank you for having me, Sheree. It's my pleasure. I want to talk to you about this pandemic, most, most specifically about how you've had to kind of restructure how you maneuver through the industry with this going on. And I ask you that because you are a working actor. You've been doing this for a long, long time. How has the way you've had to move changed since COVID-19 came into our lives? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, you know, when it first started, I, I had three movies I was supposed to do uh, mm. in April, two in April, and then start one in May. And, you know, all of a sudden, everything stopped, everything was gone. You know, I got a mortgage. Uh, yeah. Uh, there, there was a lot of, of fear and uh, the newness of it all. Um, I'm lucky to be from LA. So I was like, screw this. And I drove like the 40 minutes to my parents' house, hunkered down and was like, let's, let's just figure out what life is. Uh, and then I got really lucky. Um, I booked a movie that went into production June 11th. And so I left my parents' house. I got on an airplane, flew across the country, entered into a production bubble, and then mm. spent two months not leaving this bubble, um, getting tested uh, every other day and, and working with some really great actors. And since I got home in August, I've just kept working. And I tell people that a couple of things. One, it makes me feel very safe because in order to go to work, I have to pass tests and keep passing tests. Yeah. And so you just, you have a certain comfort that comes with with that, it also forces you to be more disciplined because I'm not trying to lose none of these jobs uh, <laughs> yeah. on some recklessness. Uh, and, and also, um, it, it, but it is kind of like, you know, I've been acting since I was six and I'm so used to sets and I love sets and I'm comfortable on sets. And now it's like, I walked into my house and somebody just moved all of the furniture. Wow. Uh, you know, and so there's a little bit of discomfort because I, I filmed the show in uh, February and I was there for five days and I didn't see anyone else's face until the fifth day when wow. we actually filmed. When we, yeah, because during rehearsals where we were masked up and had, you know, face shields on and, you know, and so it makes you feel safe, but there's an intimacy that's been lost. I really miss sort of getting to sit around and watch other people's work and eat lunch with other actors and talk to them about their journeys. And uh, so, so I, I miss that, but at the same time, just honestly grateful to be working, happy that I get to keep doing it. Yeah, and it's an interesting dynamic between this gain and loss that you speak about because, yeah, you're getting the jobs, but you're still losing some of the essence of why you fell in love with what you do in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to a friend of mine who's an entertainer, and she talked about just like artists and entertainers not really having the resources that they need from a mental standpoint, a mental health standpoint to deal with the, the loss of not just a job, but also not being able to express in the way that you're used to. Do you feel yes. that same way? <laughs> Thank God that uh, <laughs> two years ago, I got a therapist. I'd never had a therapist in my life. Uh, and I said, the good Lord must have known that I was gonna need some guidance through what was coming. Uh, she's just been a life send, uh, a life, uh, and just every Monday to be able to sort of process through, uh, because I'll be honest, and I've told a lot of people this, at the top of the pandemic, like I had to freak out before everything happened. Hmm. I was watching it coming. 
And I was just like, I, w I was just such anxiety about the unknown of it all. And before everything shut down, before life changed forever, I was like, I can't do this. And I packed up my suitcase and I went to my parents' house and my parents were like, okay, we're happy you're here, but like, maybe you're overreacting. And then a week later, everything happened. And my parents wow. were like, or maybe you were just ahead of all of us. And, <laughs> yeah. I, and I was like, yeah. So with the therapist, I kind of had to process like, what do you do when like the way you live life is gone? When the business that you've done forever is gone. So much of my like release as a human comes through like living in other people's lives and, and playing these characters. And now it's gone and I don't know for how long, yeah. you know? Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely think that like for artists, it's just been really, really hard. And if you do theater, especially like TV has figured out a way because we don't need an audience to do that. Yeah. But, you know, uh, as a person who does a lot of theater um, and my friends, my partner who are Broadway people, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Is how do you, I know it's coming back. I know it'll be better than ever. Theater survived for thousands of years. Yeah. Um, and this is not its first, it's not its first pandemic, but it, it's, it's heartbreaking um, to watch it. And I know there's so many people who, I was reading an article about a Broadway actress. I forgot her name, but they were saying like two years ago, she was nominated for a Tony award. Yeah. And now she's, packed up her car, moved back to Oregon to be with her parents, lost her health insurance because you, she hasn't been able to work to get any. She's got uh, type one diabetes. It's just, you know, it's, it's just brutal. Wow. Wow. And you mentioned the stage and I want to stay there for a moment because, you know, you have a very storied career, television, film, and the stage. And I want to speak about what sense of gratification do you get across each genre respectively? Oh, that's, that's great. Um, you know, TV is my first love. That's the first thing I ever did. Uh, and and there's just an ease for me in that space. Um, I feel at home, uh, even if it's not my set, if it's someone else's set and I'm just guest starring for the week, like I just walk in and I'm like, I know who I am here. Uh, I know this air, I know this space. Um, theater for me is, theater is the baseline. Theater is like, I go back to theater because I want to make sure that, I, that I'm still present, that I'm still listening, that mm. like I haven't lost the craft of acting. Because wow. in TV and film, you get a second take, a third take even. There's do-overs. In theater, there's not a do-over. If you're on that stage and something goes wrong, then you have to figure it out and you cannot break, you cannot let the audience know something's going wrong. You just have to make it work. Uh, and I think that it makes you, it keeps you honest. And also because you're doing the same thing every day, every single day, it's a little different. And yeah. so you have to be listening and you have to be present. Uh, and like I said, in TV and film, sometimes you can forget that because there are times when I'm doing a whole scene and it's just me acting to nothing because the actor had to go do something else. Can't do that in theater. Wow. <laughs> That's super cool. That's super cool. I want to talk about all boys aren't blue. Um, yes. I'm so intrigued by this. I think it's it's phenomenal what, what you guys are doing. What kind of experience can viewers expect when they tap into this particular film? Ah, oh, man, it's just beautiful. Um, you know, what George wrote, uh, it's so, it's simultaneously personal and also universal um, that for any any person, especially of color who who exists on the queer spectrum, like you find yourself somewhere in George's stories. And, you know, what Nathan did so well was take a couple of those chapters and then let three actors 
exist in those spaces as themselves, telling George's story, but through our own uh, mm -hmm. sort of bodies. And um, it's beautiful and the artwork is beautiful. I mean, this, I walked onto the set and I was like, what is, this is gorgeous. You know, um, by Love Jones and all the art that he curated. I mean, so great. And and Makisha, who did all of our costumes, I took my suit home. When you see that suit, know that I took it home. Uh, <laughs> when they when they said you can take it, I said I'm not even changing. I'm just going to walk straight off set in the suit, just in case y'all change your minds. It's going to be too late because I already walked out of here in it. Uh, I think it's just going to be a wonderfully intimate experience, and I hope that people walk away from it feeling seen mm. uh, um, and feeling feeling valued and understanding that wherever you are in your journey, that, uh, that you are wonderful and perfect. And um, if you haven't found your community yet, your community, it's waiting for you. You just have to be bold and brave. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it's really been, this, is, this whole thing has been way, way more magical than, than I expected. I, I, I was just happy to work with my friends and it's just turned into this beautiful blessing. I love how you said being seen because it's interesting and almost ironic that we're in a time now where everybody's kind of hidden in a sense because people are in the house and everybody's working from home and you don't have to, you're not able to engage and, and in some respects literally be seen. So I think it's so cool that in timely actually that this is happening now. How did you get involved with this project? Uh, well, I've known Nathan Hale Williams, who's the director and producer, and uh, I think he, you know, took the chapters and you know, figured all that out. Um, I've known him forever. Um, and we've been sort of going back and forth about doing something together. We he had a staged reading he did of a show he wrote a couple months ago. And, you know, he was like, I may have something soon. You know, I'll reach out to you. So he reached out to me over the uh, holidays. And uh, I didn't even read the whole text message. I just saw, you know, do you want to? And I said, yes. <laughs> And then like a couple of days later, I was like, oh, you should go back and actually read what he asked you to do. <laughs> I just, I just trust him. And, you know, implicitly, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed everything that he's, that he's done. So I, I was just really happy to be asked. And then when I showed up and saw who else was involved, I had to, uh, I said this yesterday, I had to yeah, conquer heavy a hitters. bit of imposter syndrome, you know, <laughs> like every actor, no matter how much they work is probably the most insecure person in the space. And I was like, oh my gosh. You know, wow. it's 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 Jennifer Lewis. You know, it's it, it, it's dynamic. It's, it's Dylan Burnside. It's it's Bernard David Jones. Like, who the hell thought I should be here? Uh, mm. And God bless Nathan for talking me back down. But yeah, I mean, it was just it was an easy yes uh, for me. I want to talk about some of the the topics that you know this short film is going to explore, and we think about. The, the ebbs and flows, I would say, of the of the consciousness of the black male. We talk about toxic masculinity and even sexual identity. Um, what are some of the the nuances and the mantras in this film that really stick with you that you hope people are able to see themselves through through the lens of their own life? Uh, you know, that's a great question. I, for me, um, and I've said this so much in my life because I've had to. Uh, remind myself and also like if make sure other people understand that like blackness black maleness is not a monolith mm -hmm. that by birth I'm black and 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 by and and by identity I'm a black male and so you don't get to decide for me if my blackness if my maleness is enough or not enough and and so for me that was the thing especially in the chapter that I was given that really resonated with me is that I've spent so much of my life 
having to defend my blackness and defend my masculinity. Uh, and, and so even though George and I have very different journeys, it was so easy to connect to the idea that, you know, we exist in spaces where people doubt or challenge um, whether we should be allowed to call ourselves black. Wow. And for me, whether I should be allowed to call myself a man and what that means because of who I love and how I love. Uh, and I think across all three chapters that we, that we do in this book, there's just that constant battle that these people through George are facing of having to declare that it doesn't matter what you think. It only matters what I know yeah. about myself. Uh, yeah. And so that's, um, I think really that for me was the takeaway from it and the connection point for it was, you know, I, I deal with him in like the college years. Uh, uh, I deal with George's stories in the college years and through adulthood. And, you know, that, that finding that community that loves you as you are, that fortifies your spirit and really just sort of roots you in, in the earth. And then from there, you can grow. You can become, you know, a best-selling author with, with, with a TV deal. You can do whatever you want to do uh, because, you know, those you found you had Nana in the beginning and then you had, you know, in those chapters, the frat in the middle there, like all these people just, you know, holding you up and saying, I see you and, you know, I'm here for, for your journey. You talk about connecting the dots and clarity as it relates to this project, but you also tapped into your own life a little bit. What was your kind of moment of clarity or connecting the dots for yourself as a black male, owning who you are fully? Oh man. Uh, now we're getting into what we talk about with my therapist. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I said, I, I, you know, I grew up in the, uh, I grew up an hour outside of LA, little city called Upland. We were the only black people for a while. Um, wow. At least in our little corner, it, we, it turned out that we were all living in different spots, but like, you know, I didn't see you at school because you were at a different school, but you know, I, there was a lot of um, searching for identity. There was a lot of whiteness telling me that my blackness wasn't enough and a lot of blackness telling me that my blackness wasn't enough. Um, and especially in my teen years, you know, it got into how I spoke, how I walked, how I moved through the world. And then of course you add in uh, that, you know, the, the, the queerness into that. And then all of a sudden, like your hands, your, your wrists are too limp. You're not moving through the world like other boys move through the world. You're missing certain milestones that other people are missing. Um, and I, so I think it was, probably uh, right after college when I really just sort of, I came back from college and, you know, I was living in my parents' house and I was just kind of like, you know what, I can't, my happiness matters more than what anyone else thinks about me. And so I have to get a place on my own where I understand who I am. I love who I am. No one can take that from me. And then from that space, I can go out into the world and say, okay, this is who I am. And I'm at the point now where you can take it or you can kick rocks. Yeah. Uh, and even my, when my parents, when we had the conversation, you know, I was like, yes, okay, I'm doing it. I'm coming out. Here we go. You know, my parents were kind of like, you know, well, you know, we kind of, we reached out. We were trying to get the information you, you were kind of pushing. I was like, I know because you guys are wonderful and I knew you'd be okay, but there's always that chance that you won't be. And so I had to be okay, you know, and it's just, I, I really do. I, I have some friends who have a, uh, who have a son who's young and just questioning things. And I got so emotional. He was talking to me and he was saying, I was watching this, this little kid talk to me. And I was like, maybe this world is changing. Change is slow, but I'm sitting here talking to 
a, a 12 year old who has such clarity about what he's feeling and the comfort and the safety to talk to someone about it. That like, oh. this is a conversation you've had with mom and dad. And so you're having it with one of their friends who identifies as gay, but you think maybe, I don't know, I could be bisexual, I could be not, I could be gay, I could be straight. I don't know. I like, you know, I think that person's cute. I think she's cute too. And I was like, oh my God, this is the world that I wish I had lived in. Um, mm. But I'm, great, I'm grateful for the parents I had to get me through it. Cause I do think that I've definitely been able to stand very tall against some pushback from outside forces because I'm like, listen, I got my God and I got my, I got my family. And so uh, I own this space. And like I yeah. said to you, it is something that seems so simple, but like I got to the point where I was like, there are three things in this world that I had no control over. I came to this earth, male, black, and gay. Those are three things I had no control over. Mm. And so I will, not, I will not be condemned for them. I will not be shy about them. And I'm going to own them and live fiercely in them uh, because that is who I am, perfectly made. Uh, you know, so yeah, it, sorry, that, got, that got super like, no, that was that was yeah. that was good. I mean, that that's kind of the nature of the show a little bit because it's just a thought. It's what it's what you're thinking, yeah. and in in response to what I'm thinking. And I had a conversation with uh, Tariq Daniels, who was actually on my podcast, and we were talking about um, we we started talking about the HIV AIDS community and how the pandemic is affecting them, and then we went on to talk about mm -hmm. the stigma surrounding sexuality and black men and things of that nature. And he, he was really, really honing in on that, the stigmas, the stigmas. And as you're talking, you know, those were things that, that I'm, I'm pulling from you that you had to fight with and grapple with and ultimately yeah. overcome. What are some of the steps that, that, that we need to take in general, especially in the black community when it relates to men and their sexuality, whether they're fluid, whether they're, they identify as gay, bisexual, what have you, especially if we're looking through the lens of all boys aren't blue. Uh, that is a great, I'm glad you asked because I have thoughts on that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I tell people that I was lucky enough to be raised in a household that believed in God, but also believed that the Bible at times may have been slightly manipulated by men for their own ends. My mm -hmm. mom used to tell me that the Bible was a game of telephone. You know, like, you know, you play the game telephone and you pass a message down the line. And when it gets down to the end, it's slightly different mm -hmm. than it was at the beginning. Um, and, uh, and so for me, I think that like the stigma of HIV AIDS directly connects to the stigma in the black community, directly connects to the stigma of being queer in the black community, mm -hmm. which directly connects to the church in the black community mm -hmm. that we hold on steadfast. The church community holds on to some of these uh, archaic ideas about like who sh who should be allowed to love whom and that pushes people into closets that make them not learn what they should learn and and take the steps to protect themselves in the way that they should and in trying to suppress the truth of who you are you become reckless is not the right word but you but like but you're not taking the precautions should be taken and then you mm -hmm. go and you do something because it has to get out of you. It has to get yeah. out of you. Impulsive. And then, yeah. impu and, and then you didn't protect yourself. And then you're scared to get tested. And then so there's, so it's all the trickle down from this one institution that teaches people from birth that there's something wrong with them. Mm. 
And what I love about the house I grew up in, and I am so grateful that I didn't carry that particular stigma with me, is that there's nothing wrong with me. And, you know, we, 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 we have a conversation, there's a talk back on this thing where, there, where it comes up, you know, and after I was watching the talk back and I was like, you know, it's interesting because a lot of church folks are like, well, you just have to give us time. And I said, it's really funny that you say that because those are the exact same words that you, that we as black people say to white people, mm. like white people say to black people. And we're like, now is the time we're tired of waiting. And they're like, give us some time. We're getting there. Just, mm. just relax. We're getting to the, we're, come on, just chill. And then if you turn around and you're doing that to another group of people and you wow. don't even see the connection. You know, I told my mom, I was like, the Bible has been, the Bible was used to justify enslaving black people. It was. Literally, slave owners were like, the Bible says we can do this. You're inferior. Yeah. And and now we're paying that forward. You mm. know, I, 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 so I don't know. It's, um, it's, it's, so that's my thing. I'm like, the stigma of all these things are caused by this. And so we've got to figure out how to get people to understand that, like, if you want to be gay, straight, bisexual, transgender, non-binary, whatever you want to be, that is your business. And so you be that. And I will learn what it is. Well, I don't know that, that you're changing things. What am I, I'm supposed to call you? Yes. Yes, you are. That's what I would like to be called. And this is how I'd like to be treated. Uh, and I do think that like, we don't like, I don't really love it, especially when uh, I'm just going to say it. I don't like it when like white gays try to draw parallels between gay rights and civil rights mm -hmm. because white, white, white male gays have a lot of work they need to do in general. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but I do like, as a black queer person, I'm just like, you don't even see it. You don't even yeah. see it. I think it's trauma. I think it's people. You are oppressed. Well, that's the, that's the thing. It, it is, it is, yeah. it's almost become part of our, I hate to say it, but it's almost this hereditary way of movement that as you stated, is really more of a subconscious thing. And I think when we don't have, when we don't come to our own level of spiritual revelation in that we're dealing in relationship with God, with our, you know, ourselves, then we fall into these legalistic, ritualistic things that then all they do is, first of all, they, they burden people, but they bind people as well. The person that's not mm -hmm. receptive and the person on the other end who's looking for grace and reception. So I yes. think you make a, a very valid point in that. And there's so much, there's so much work to be done. We could literally talk about this all day. Um, but I, I thank you for sharing because these are real things. And I think also people don't understand that just because you're an actor doesn't mean you don't have other things that, about life that you care about, that you deeply yeah. care about and that you want to see change in, especially in the world, especially as it relates to the black community and the queer community. So I thank you for sharing that. I really do. And I yeah. think people listening, there's going to be some people listening who are going to take from this and be able to move with a little bit more bravery and courage through their own life. Be able I, to share their own story. So, yeah. Listen, I hope so. I remember being in college and one of my best friends saying to me, he was older. Um, uh, and he said, you know, at some, someday you're going to figure out that like, in order to be who you want to be in this world, you've been given so many gifts. And one of your gifts is your family that like, you're going to have to straighten your spine and be and be a visual, a visible example for little boys and girls and non-binary kids and trans kids who look like you. Mm. The black and brown are gonna need to look at you and see themselves in you and know that they're gonna be okay. And like at 21, 22, I was like, I can barely handle my own 
right? clearness. <laughs> you want me to be responsible for, and then, you know, a couple years later, I was like, oh, I get it. I get what he's saying, because what I didn't have, what I was missing when I was growing up was anyone that I could look to who looked anything like me, who existed in the spaces I existed in to look at and go, oh, okay, I'm gonna be okay. Maybe it'll be rough to get through this, but like, I have someone I can, you know, and so whatever little bit I can do to try to make the world a little better for a little black or brown kid, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna try to do, um, you know, even if it means that sometimes I have to get in some uncomfortable conversations with folks about their mindsets. But, you know, I'm like, no, there's, there's people out there who you're, people are dying. They are. It's really, they are. it's really that people are dying because they don't feel loved and they feel othered and wrong. And so, you know, books like All Boys Aren't Blue, events like this, people like George, you know, like just are, are, are a crucial part of the next generation understanding that like things will always move forward. You know, I'm saying like with political stuff, I was saying, if you look at the long history of America, like for every period of progress, there are steps back and we get yes. discouraged in those steps back, but we have to keep pushing. Yeah, we have absolutely. to keep pushing forward. Absolutely. And thank you for answering the call with All Boys Aren't Blue. And it's a much needed story, especially during these times, as I stated earlier. Anything else that we can expect, Thomas? I know we talked about, you know, God opening some other doors for you this year and you being able to kind of to get some other gigs and opportunities. What else can we expect from you as we move through 2021? Uh, well, if you are, you know, if, if you're looking for something to watch, I have a movie called 12 Hour Shift on Hulu. Cool. Um, so you can watch that. It's a little dark uh, comedy about some nurses and an organ smuggling ring. It was, uh, <laughs> which sounds crazy, but it was, um, uh, it was in, um, oh goodness. Oh, what was the uh, Tribeca Film Festival earlier this year? And now it's, now it's out for consumption. I also have a movie out called Be the Light, uh, which is on like all the streaming services. Uh, and the movie I did this summer, which is called Ghost of the Ozarks. It's myself and David Arquette and Tim Blake Nelson and Phil Morris wow. and, uh, Tara Perry and uh, it's my first like lead in a movie I got to be a, a, a badass uh, you know black doctor in 1870s in the in the Ozarks you know kicking Dope. some butt uh, hopefully that'll be out later this year um, yeah just just trying to say we filmed a commercial this week it was my first time playing a father um, <laughs> so like I said I've just been I've just been here for it it's just grateful um, you know my grandfather passed away in September and it feels like that was really hard, but the energy moving from out from that has just been really, mm. really great. You know, I know he's uh he's up there just steering the ship now. So I'm just lifting my hands up in surrender and just going where the river flows. Well, in surrendering, you have certainly made yourself an open and available vessel. And so I just I just hope for you and wish for you and pray for you for continued success and health to you and, and your loved ones. So thank you so much for hanging out with me on Just Thank Thought. you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. This is Just a Thought, hosted and produced by yours truly, Sharina Cole, in association with Sharina Cole Media and the Say It Loud Podcast Network. Just a Thought is now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Radio.com. And make sure that you subscribe, share, and rate us. And also, tell a friend. You can follow the Just a Thought podcast on Instagram at Just a Thought Show and on Twitter at Just a Thought Win. That's W-I-N. You can also follow me, Sheree Nicole, on Instagram and Twitter. Same handle, Sheree underscore Nicole. S-H-A-R-I underscore N-Y-C-O-L-E. 
Say It Loud Podcast Network, where black and brown voices truly matter.